Made for more living. One small step for man. With Johnny Jennings. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. The fastest and most exciting hour of news, events, and real estate in Northern California. And this is a fact that was proved. Powered by EXP Realty. Online at madeformoreliving.com. Does everybody know what time it is? Get ready. Here we go. All right, let's do it. Johnny, did you know that the number one baseball card sold for, guess how much? $6.6 million. What? Talk about a great investment. You that know? is an incredible $6.6 million for a little piece of cardboard. It was a Honus Wagner baseball card from 1911. Did you collect baseball cards when you were a kid? I did not. I had some Pokemon cards, though. Pokemon cards? Yep. I don't know if those have any value right now. I don't, I don't think know. you'll be finding a Pokemon card worth $6 million. We'll wait We'll wait till, uh, what is it, another 100 years or so? Maybe you know. That, you, you never know. know. My Charizard will be worth something. And we have a special <laughs> guest in the studio today. His name is Chad Francis. He's a financial advisor with Thrive Stewardship. Chad, thanks for being on the show today. We to welcome your experience and your expertise when it comes to investment. So, you know, baseball cards, obviously, when we were kids, we thought they were a good investment. You know, yep. we go down to the corner baseball hobby store and I'd spend 25 cents on a packet of cards, hoping I'd find a Mark McGuire or a Jose Canseco, <laughs> you know, the Bash Brothers, and that it would be worth hundred dollars. And you know what I ended up doing? Hmm. I went down to the baseball card shop when I was in my mid twenties and I sold the whole box of them for 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't have time to spend on this investment, you know, and yeah. who knows how much it would be worth today. You don't want to know probably. No, I don't. Cause some of them were even autographed. Oh, you man. Know? And I was thinking, oh, man. But, you know, we go through life and we look at things that we feel are going to have a good return, things that we want to buy at a low price and that as they age, maybe they will produce a great return on our investment. And yeah. one of those things we want to talk about today is a home, right? People wonder, is in today's economic climate a home a good investment? And that's why we have Chad on today. So what are your guys' initial thoughts on a home as a good investment? Is it a good investment? Man, I, um, I'm i a little bit controversial when it comes to this, because obviously my job is helping people find homes. Like My family has a lot of uh, heated conversations, especially coming out of the holidays, about is a home a good investment? And my gut reaction is a primary residence is typically not a good investment. Really? Yeah. As your primary residence, explain what that means. So that means that's where you're living. So when I think of an investment, it's something that's taking money either out of your pocket or putting money into your pocket. It's an asset versus a liability. And so what's uh, what's your mortgage doing each month? It's taking money out of your pocket. Now here's, here's where it starts becoming a good investment is if you're gonna stay in that home long-term. You're going to stay in that home longer than seven and you're planning on like life happens. I get that, but seven to 10 years, then all of a sudden it flips into being a bad investment to a good investment. But if you're like feeling pressured, Hey, my family's saying I need to buy a house. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know if this is the job I want. If it's a place I want to live, I'm going to buy a house because it's what I'm told to do. Cause I'm throwing away money each month on rent. And then in my opinion, a home's a bad investment. Okay. Chad, what do you think? I'm just really surprised. I thought Johnny was going to be the other way on that opinion. Um, I know. I keep it quiet, but now we're doing it on the radio, so. We're pretty closely correlated there. Uh, I think a primary residence, buying a home is a great investment, but it really does depend on that whole time frame. Seven to 10 years, yeah, that's on that longer side where you can expect to see some appreciation, recoup some of the costs that went into buying the home, and ride out any kind of market turbulence that could cause it to be a more expensive yep. cost. Exactly. That makes sense to me. But what also makes sense as a home buyer is you're normalizing that budget. So every year that you're renting, you can expect that rent's going to go up and up and up. Whereas if you sign up for a mortgage on a home, at least that's something that's going to be steady. You know what it's going to be next year, three years from now. So that can really help you on a planning side of things. But to your tune, absolutely, it has to be a long-term decision. So let's get a little personal here real quick. Chad, how long did you live in your previous home? Ooh, previous home, uh, hey, eight years. Eight years, boom. So we actually just helped Chad sell his house. Um, and so you lived in it eight years. Yep. We don't have to get into the details, but was it a good investment for you? 
absolutely was a good investment for okay. us. Uh, we're still coming out of the tail end of the financial crisis of 08. Mm-hmm. We're well past it, it was 2015, but home prices still weren't anywhere near where they are today. Yeah. And so I feel like we got a great deal one, but we waited a long enough time that we got to see compound interest work for us to where, hey, that home grew in value. So we ended up selling for a lot more than we bought it for. Yep. So that's what I, that's what people always ask me. Should I buy a home? Should I buy a home? Is now a good time to buy a home? It's not about right now. It's about what's going to happen in five, 10, 15 years in your life. Like if you're going to be doing the same job, if you're going to be in the same area, if you have a life plan that goes out five, 10, 15 years, then buying a home could be a good idea because here's, here's, here's the economics of selling a home, buying and selling a home. When you buy a home, there's down payment and there's closing costs. Let's just say that's about three, three-ish percent. With the down payment, if you do a 3% down payment, let's say it's 4 to 5% together. Then you have to sell the home. On average, it's 8 to 12% to sell the home. So now, now let's just keep it simple math. You're up to 14% that that home needs to appreciate just for you to break even. And we haven't even factored in interest. We haven't even factored in home repairs. Like all of a sudden that $400,000 home, now let's just say at a 15% you know, cost, hard cost to sell the home, that comes out to um, 15% of that is, what is that, $50,000. That home needs to go up about $50,000 in order for you just to break even, mm-hmm. like not make money, break even. And so if if you're not, I, just, I feel so bad for like, especially younger couples or people who, who feel like they're getting behind in life because they don't own a home, but their life hasn't led them to a place where it makes sense for them to own a home. Sure. And so if you're in that place, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Um, you, you've, you've probably made the best financial decision based off what Chad's saying, right, for, for your family up to this point. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't anticipate is that being a homeowner completely changes your whole dynamic. You don't just have a landlord to go, oh, excuse me, I have a problem here. Come fix it. No, you are the fixer. Right. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> yep. I have a buddy. He rents and he, uh, his heater went out, his water heater went out, and the roof started leaking all within the same week. Wow. Like thousands of dollars that that landlord is going to have to pay to, to fix the property. And if you are the landlord, then that's coming out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. So there's pros and cons, but it's a long-term buy. So if you're thinking about buying a home and you're wondering if now's the market, now's not the question. It's what's going to be happening in your life seven to 10 years from now. So bottom line, you're recommending that a home is a good investment or it's not a good investment? Bottom line, it depends. I know that's not, that's not black and white, easy to answer, but if you're going to be in the home seven to 10 years, good investment. But if you're looking at it long term, let's say you're going to be in the home for 25 oh, to 30 Oh, then it gets years? even better. Then it gets okay. even better. But like in, it, that, that's the cutoff, seven to 10 years. Right. Gotcha. Depending on your interest rate, depending on a whole bunch, how much money you put down, depending on what's happening in the local economy, like seven to 10 years. Like think about what was happening 10 years ago. So we were in 2013. How that we had a different, we had two different presidents, right? The economic landscape was completely different. Uh, minimum income was completely different. Like what was happening, like the stock market was way different than what it is now. And so like 10 years is a long time because not only are you, are, you, are you writing out appreciation and gaining value in that home, but you're also paying down the debt. Mm. And so um, there's, if the market does correct in 10 years, you've, you've, had, you've had nine years of appreciation, one year of correction, you're, you still are not trapped in that home. Gotcha. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because I know there's a lot of people listening right now and they're on the fence of whether or not they want to make that big leap and invest in a home, but they're not sure. Nobody knows the future. Mm-hmm. And so is it worth it to just take the leap of faith and, and go for it? So it also depends on your financial situation, which is why we have Chad here, but like, if you, so I know so many people, they buy their dream house and then their house poor. They cannot afford a new car. They cannot afford to go on vacations. Like they're, they're, they, they can't live a, a more full lifestyle because every single penny they have is going into the home. And if somebody loses their job, they lose the home. And there's just so much stress around that situation. So I guess it really depends. Like Chad, what would you say would be a, a healthy payment each month to be going into, like percentage to be going into the, the mortgage? Great question. Because it used to be it used to be twenty five percent, but I know it's much higher now, right? That recommendation is still twenty five percent. Okay, so twenty five percent of that take home pay should be your all encompassing mortgage payment, principal, interest, property taxes, homeowners insurance, HOA if you've got one everything that gets roped into what it costs to stay in that home. Because I know there's a lot of folks listening right now that it's fifty percent. Mm. Yep, and well, they're saying it's got to be that way. Lenders will go. I don't have any other options. Lenders will go up to I don't know about fifty percent, but I know in the forties they'll go up to forty percent. 
right? And so like you can get a loan that will make you again house poor and that just doesn't feel good. That's there's there's no hedge, there's no there's no cushion for life. Like if life happens a, a um an illness, uh, a life, uh, what do they call them? One of those life altering circumstances, death, disease, divorce, sure. all those downsides and like all the different things that happen in life. Like if, if, if all of your money's going into the house and you're locked into that for again, 10 years, that's, that's, that's scary. That's not something we, we would recommend for somebody. Yeah. So wrapping up this segment, a home is or is not a good investment depends on. Depends on how long you plan to stay there and how much money like you're committing each month to that mortgage payment. Chad, any last comments for home being a good investment? I would say that the timing ultimately depends on that person or persons, that married couple, when they're looking at a home, what does affordability look like? Can they make that payment? Is it around a quarter of your take home pay? That should be the determining factor of, are you ready to buy? Okay. And take home, not gross. He's saying take home. All right, coming up in the next segment, mistakes people make before buying a home. You're listening to Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings. I could be the only person who deals with this. Who knows? But do you ever set a goal and get frustrated because it depends on someone else doing their part? Oh, my gosh. That drives me nuts. Well, that was the case for Mark and Julia, who wanted to downsize their home in El Dorado Hills. But their realtor friend just wasn't as quick and helpful as they wanted them to be. So they heard about Johnny Jennings with the Tom Dave's real estate team, and they reached out to them. What a difference because... Johnny Jennings and the Tom Daves team were able to put their marketing to work, sold the home in 10 days with a free 40-day rent back. Now, Mark and Julia can move on without frustration. And they can do the same for your family. If you're curious what your home would sell for, go to TomDaves.com. Bam, right away you find out what kind of offers you would get and how much you would get if you wanted a cash offer, no matter what kind of condition your home is in. The website, again, is TomDaves.com, or you call 855-TOM-DAVES. License number 581-837. This is Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings, online at madeformoreliving.com. All right, so in the last segment, we discussed, is a home a good investment? In this segment, we want to talk about mistakes people make before buying a home. Johnny Jennings, take it. Absolutely. So there's a lot of factors to consider when buying a house, especially for the first time. And so there's a lot of things we've learned along the way from helping hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people through this process. But the number one mistake, or at least hurdle to home ownership, is that down payment. Um, People think that they need 20%. That's not true. Um, you can get as low as like 0% if you're VA, 1%, 3%. There's all these special loans out there. Or no percent if you can get some government loans. But a lot of people, that that's a stumbling block for them. And so if they don't qualify for those government loans, then they end up turning to retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. And they, they decide, hey, I'm going to pull this money out. Mind you, like worst case scenario, they're going to live in the house a couple of years. They're going to pull this money out of a retirement account, and they're going to sell the home. And that's going to be a huge financial, like, like, devastation. Like it's not, it's not a good look. And so what we recommend is you speak to your financial advisor and get some different options on how do I leverage, how do I come up with that down payment in a way that makes this a good financial investment for me? Like if I'm going to stay there seven, 10, 15 years, how do I, how do I end up better on the other side? Chad, what are you typically seeing when, when clients are doing this? And once again, we're talking with Chad Francis. He's our special guest, financial advisor with Thrive Stewardship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. And it really, again, just kind of depends. And I know we've hit that point before, but it is all about where someone is in life. And so if they're looking to buy a home, hopefully they've been thinking about this for more than five minutes and maybe they've been saving that down payment. Maybe they've been proactive in their goal. If they haven't, we tend to see people be more reactive Mm. and they'll go to something like, hey, I've got a Roth IRA. I've got a retirement account and it says I'm allowed to pull so much as a first time home buyer and I don't have to pay a penalty. Mm-hmm. That can be great. You just need to go in with eyes wide open and understand what the ramifications of that are. So I've heard about people also pulling, like, like getting a loan from themselves, like using their 401k as a loan and then with the intention of paying that back. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Man, I, I struggle to use this word, but I hate that option. Megaloth, um, you megaloth. That's what I say <laughs> instead of hate. But it's such a it sets you up for failure. When you borrow from your own retirement, you're going to pay that back. There's interest that's attached to that, and it sounds attractive, 
but you're paying the interest. You're moving money from your left pocket to your right pocket. You're not accomplishing anything. Mm. And when you're paying that money back over time, all you're doing is unplugging an investment. So if you borrowed 10,000 out, you're taking money out of a plan that's growing. Mm. If it takes you 20 years to pay that back, hopefully it doesn't, but that $10,000 could have become $100,000 in 20 years. And so you're really setting yourself back in retirement to accomplish a goal today. So you're slowing the velocity of that investment. A hundred percent. Got it. So what would you recommend? Like, how do you, if somebody was like, hey, don't pull out of the retirement account, what would you recommend they do to come up with that down? I love it when people are just more proactive about their goals in general, but it all comes back to the budget. You're not taking on more home than you can afford mm -hmm. as a percentage. Great. If we're staying within that same realm of percentages, mm -hmm. you're saving, you're spending, you're giving. And within that, you can set aside some money from your savings. Maybe you push pause on retirement for a season to save up a good healthy down payment so that you can attack that point of the plan and then come back and really focus on retirement once you're there. Yeah, that makes sense. And so homes on average nationally, again, nationally, like if you were in the Bay Area in the 70s, this doesn't hold pertain to you. If you were in San Diego in the 80s, obviously this doesn't pertain to you. Mm -hmm. But nationally, homes have appreciated somewhere around 4% year over year if you go back like 100 years. Yeah. So that you're seeing 4% growth on that money. But if you pull that money out of an investment account that's making how much? Like, what would you say? It depends on how someone is invested, of course, but mm -hmm. let's just take something very generic, the stock market average. You threw out 100 years for homes, yeah. go back 100 years in the stock market. Stock market's average north of 10%. Mm. And so if you're gonna take something out that was going at a faster velocity, you're of course not gonna have that same growth rate. But also if you're gonna pull from retirement in general, yeah, you might expect to pay taxes on that if it's not a loan and you might be in a high tax bracket too. What are the taxes on on a, a early withdrawal? Sure, so it depends on what type of an account. Just take a generic retirement account, a 401k, an IRA, and it's taxable. At one point you got a tax break on that, now you're pulling that out, it's mm -hmm. all taxable. It's gonna be taxed at ordinary income. And if you're under age 60, you're gonna get hit with penalties. And so you're, tooken, you're talking about something like 30% in overall tax and penalties for the average person, average income, so if you need $100,000 out of that, you're gonna say goodbye to at least 30,000. Wow, so you, yeah, so if you need, let's say you're buying a $400,000 home, maybe that's like, like a good starter price here in, in our market, $400,000 home, you want 3% down, that is 12,000 bucks. Yep. So if you're gonna pull that 12,000 bucks out, it's gonna cost you north of 15,000 to access the money out the gate, mm -hmm. and um, well, 15, like counting the 12 for the, for the down, and then, um, you're slowing down that investment that's already grown at on an average of 10%. And that's the real big takeaway, is what you're slowing down. What's that opportunity cost that you're putting yourself and giving that exposure to? It could still be growing, or you could be taking that money out. Mm. You could be saving towards that goal, or you could be pulling it from another source. And so you're money ahead to say, hey, tap the brakes. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do the withdrawal. We're not gonna pay the penalties. We're gonna, instead of paying ourselves back in five years, let's just tap the brakes and put money away for three to five years and we'll be money ahead if we can't qualify for some other program out there that helps us with the down. Yeah, and it really depends on, again, what that number goal is for that person. Yeah. But if it's not something that's super large, maybe they can tackle that quicker. Maybe it's a six month goal, maybe it's a one year goal to come up with just a few thousand to put down. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point because so many people, again, think they need like a a kingly sum, a princely sum to put down on a home, and you do not need that. You absolutely do not need that. We work with the best lenders, and they have they have a whole plethora of plans, whole plethora of programs that provide you with the down. Like for example, Valerie just closed on a home. Um, I can't remember what city it was, but somewhere in the Sacramento region, and they were getting too much money back. They were getting too much money back that they they had an extra four hundred bucks. We're like, we can't. We can't, we can't give you the $400 because you're not paying for your down payment. You're not paying your closing costs. You didn't have to pay for any of the repairs. Like there's an extra 400, there's a $400 credit here. We're just going to have to um, figure out what to do with this money, maybe put it into the, into the, into the purchase price. But they, they, they were no money out of pocket to buy a home. So many people think the barrier is, hey, I need to come up with this down. I'm going to liquidate this account or I'm going to take money out of this account. When really you don't even need to go that route. Like just talk to a good real estate agent. Good real estate agents 
know good lenders. Just like a good, good uh, mechanic knows a good mechanic, a good doctor knows a good doctor, good realtors know great lenders. And so that would be, that would be my suggestion. Um, yeah, so what, what, if somebody approaches you or is wondering, hey, what do I do about my retirement account? Like, how do you typically go about that process with them? It's understanding what their goals are. And so in mm-hmm. knowing someone that wants to retire in the next 10 years, yeah, pulling out of that to buy a home is probably not going to be the best plan. If someone is setting up at a younger age and they're buying their first home and they've barely started retirement, great. We might just say, let's push pause on this goal for now. Let's hit this goal hard. And then we'll come back and revisit this goal soon. Yeah, I like that. It's Nothing's cookie cutter. Everybody's got different life um, situations. The kids are at different stages. Do they have kids? Are they married, not married? Like, what's their retirement look like? Do they have a retirement account? Like, it's, you really do need a custom plan specific to you. Yep. And everything in the moment feels like it's now. It's on fire. We've got to do it today or it's going to expire. And in most circumstances, we just need to take a step back, breathe and go, okay, today, that's great. Or tomorrow or next week, or maybe it's next year's plan to buy a home. It doesn't have to necessarily be an always sprint race to the finish line now or never. Correct. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a plan together and we'll just work the plan, follow the plan. Um, what do they say? You got to be smart enough to, to devise a plan and dumb enough to follow it. <laughs> so yeah, totally agree with you on the plan thing. Um, well, thank you so much, Chad, for, for giving your insight on that. The other thing that we were going to talk about that people mistake is they, the common mistake people make when buying a home is they're waiting for the market to crash. Like they're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm, markets, the prices are way too high. My mentor has a great story. His name's Brent Gove. And he tells this great story about in the early 90s and home prices in Atomas were like $90,000. And he was, and people were like, oh my gosh, these home prices are way overpriced. They're never, you're not, you're going to lose money if you buy a house. Well, those homes are going for well more than $90,000 now. And so I don't I haven't been in the career since the 90s, but I have clients from 2018 who are wishing they would have gotten in the market. But in 2018, they thought, hey, prices are too high. Prices are too high. Um, but they were planning on being here seven to 10 years, right? And they wish they would have gotten in. So what's, what's that other um, common phrase? Best time to plant a tree. What is it, Chad? Best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next best time is today. Yeah. So you got to, you got to plant that tree and at least begin the process. Planting the tree is not buying the home, but beginning the process of, Hey, is this a good fit for me? If so, how do I accomplish this goal? Right. I have a friend who has this goal of buying a home. She's not ready yet, but Mm -hmm. she at least took the first step in getting approved. So she knew where she was at. And just taking that first initial step is what it's all about. It's like planting that seed. Exactly. Yeah. So many people are like, they're scared about taking that first step because they think they're going to ding their credit. And, right. and really, you well, can, and a lot of people think that getting pre-approved means you're locked in. And oh. that is a huge fallacy that people uh, just assume, oh, well, I've signed the contract. I'm pre-approved. I got to buy a home in 30 days. Oh, my I'm in gosh. Trouble. I wish people thought like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the truth is, the truth is, you just, it's just a conversation. It's five minutes. You know, if you get to talking maybe 10 with the lender, they're not going to pull your, your credit. It's not going to. And even if they do, you can get your credit pulled up to five times in a 30 day sure. period when shopping for a home. And uh, it has it has almost no impact. Like we're talking a couple points. We're not. It's not going to tank your credit. So just begin the. Just start a conversation, whether with a lender or with a realtor or with a financial advisor like Chad. Like just begin the conversation because people are so scared about that first step. Mm-hmm. There's no need to be. Yeah, it seems like the bottom line is making sure one of the biggest mistakes that people make before buying a home is not getting all the information that they need and rushing, feeling like they yep. need to rush, but taking your time, not only getting advice from an experienced professional realtor, but also even your financial advisor who's going to give you some very balanced, unbiased advice on what is a good investment for your family. Exactly. And so that's that's something that differentiates our team from other teams is that, or other brokerages is that you, we have a whole suite of people that are there to help you. We have a financial advisor, we have a loan insurance, we have um, a loan provider, we have, um, we have title, we have escrow, we have a whole suite of people that, that are here to help you in this process rather than just the one, you know, realtor or maybe the lender. So you want to get a complete financial picture, talk to everybody in our, in our vendor program and um, they'll be able to paint that plan for you. Awesome. Coming up, things you should do now that you've purchased your home. You're listening to Made for More with Johnny Jennings.
You ever try to get your kids ready for church and oh my goodness, they're just dragging their feet. My four-year-old is still in her pajamas and church starts in 15 minutes. Well, I have a friend, his name is Johnny Jennings. He's with the Tom Daves team and he knows the value of being fast. He recently helped George and Casey who needed to sell their home in Folsom fast as they would be relocating out of state. He jumped on the phone, met with them, and in just a couple of days, the home was on the market. And guess what? They sold the home for above market value. And then the Tom Daves team was able to help them buy their next home out of state. And you know, they would love to help your family as well. Are you curious what your home would sell for? Go to TomDaves.com, type in your address, bam, right away you find out what kind of offers you would get, the low and high end, and how much you would get if you wanted a cash offer today, no matter what kind of condition your home is in. The website, again, it's TomDaves.com, or you can call 855-TOM-DAVES. License number 581-837. This is Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings, online at madeformoreliving.com. All right, so far we've talked about, is a home a good investment? Johnny. Yes, if you're going to be in it longer than seven years. Secondly, we talked about mistakes people make before buying a home. Moving too fast and liquidating retirement accounts. All right. In this segment, we want to talk about things. You've got the keys. You're in the house. You furnished it. Now you're ready to move in. Things you should do after buying a home. So either during the home buying process or right after buying it, you need to have a trust. Trad, what's a trust? So a trust is a piece of estate planning. So it's just a part of your life that you are organizing on paper so that in the event you or you and your spouse were to pass, someone else can step in and manage all of your stuff, close out your financial life. And so things aren't just left in an open pending status because sadly, you're not around anymore. You're not around anymore and it costs money. If you have a trust, you skip the probate process. In almost all cases, it really depends on how things are structured, but when they're done right, when things are done proper, you get to avoid that probate process, which if you've never gone through, it's closing out the estate of someone who's passed away that unfortunately in California, you can hear that it's drug out for years. Yep. Yep, yep. So we just closed on a property. Actually, I think it might be closing today. Helped uh, a family sell a piece of property and the the the, the courts have to approve that the purchase price. Like it cannot go below a certain purchase price. And what had happened in this specific instance is there was a bunch of uh, equipment on the property. There was some land involved. And the guy, the and so one, when you're buying a piece of property, just keep in mind that that, that, that contract is for the real property. It's for the real estate. It's not for the jacuzzi. It's not, it's, it should not include the, the broken down cars or the tractors or the, the scissor lift or whatever else. Like that's personal property. It's not real estate. But they had included in this contract some, some personal property and it was ambiguous. And so what happened was is the sellers who were managing this, this, this estate did not realize that the buyer thought that some of this stuff that they had sold off during escrow was what he wanted. So they got in a big hullabaloo about it and it came down to, hey, we can't lower the price anymore because then we'll have to go back to the court and, and, and go through that process again. Mm. And so if that had been in a trust, it would have been a much easier conversation. Mm. But but because it wasn't, they had to wait, you know, it takes, you know, I think somewhere between six to 12 months to go through the probate process. And then they can they can begin the process of selling the home. They would have had to begin the whole court process again, or at least amend some of the court processes to to do that. And there's costs with going through probate. Like yes. It's not free. The judges don't work for free. The courts aren't there for your benefit. Like they're there for your benefit, but not for um, for free. And so... And it can say it can save the state a whole lot of money and a whole lot of heartache by having that trust. And so, if you had a trust before buying that home, and the trust was not, or the home was not a part of that original trust, then you need to do an amendment, or is it an addendum, or what's it called? There's a few different ways you can actually do this. And so, an amendment is a great way to make a change for something like we have another child, and so we need to add another beneficiary into this trust. Mm. But for something like a piece of property it's very easy just to go down to the county clerk's office and you're going to make a change just via some paperwork. Oh. Um, so if you have an existing trust, that's super easy. Okay. And then if you don't have a trust, like what's that process look like? Easier than people think. It they, is? It, it is always a 
overestimate that it's going to be something that's extremely expensive or extremely complicated or I don't need a trust because I don't have that much. Mm -hmm. I just have a house or some assets or a little bit of cash. But at the end of the day, it's helpful to be protective because you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about your family. So setting that up, and I always go back to the three questions. Do you have minor children? Are you married? Do you own a home? Those kind of all go together. Mm -hmm. But then do you have assets that are outside of retirement accounts? So a general investing account, or I've got some mutual funds, or I own some shares of stock, or I've got a pile of cash at the bank. All of those are not qualified. All those are outside retirement, all of which is subject to probate. Oh, man. And so having a trust can be super helpful in that example that, oh, I've got a house, got a little bit of money in my emergency fund, got some mutual fund investing over here for buying my next car, and I've got two minor kids at home. You are someone that needs a living trust. Yep. Yep. But a lot of people are worried about the cost. Like, what... On, in your in your professional like estimation, what are, what do trust typically cost? They can vary so widely, and it depends on where you go. And so you go to a great, well-known law practice, you might be paying five thousand dollars. Is there a benefit to going to a great law practice versus uh, another option? Yeah, if you've got a net worth of uh, north of twenty million, you might need to go to someone who's very specific in that area. Five thousand bucks. Most of us worth. don't fall into that category, and so it's not actually that necessary. Hashtag goals. There we go. <laughs> They're going to structure things out differently for those higher net worth individuals. For the average person going through the trust process, it can be very specific and tailored to you, but it doesn't have to go through the high-end law firm. Someone who's just qualified to put those things together that still are legal experts can be a lot more cost-effective. Hmm. So what's cost-effective look like? Like if, if, if uh, your average person or family was to go out and get a trust, what, would that, what, what could they expect to spend? Uh, you could expect to spend anywhere between one and $5,000, where I see most folks coming through needing a trust because we help them with that, uh, including the cost of helping them fund it, meaning putting the piece of real estate into a trust, mm -hmm. is 1700 1700 bucks. And so that's a lot more expensive than 5000 but it's also a lot less than most people estimate it to be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and would Dave Ramsey put that on a credit card? Just, can you fund it with a credit card? Dave Ramsey would not put that on a credit card. <laughs> It can be done, but it's not recommended. Okay, so seventeen hundred bucks. So when you're when you're buying a home, or if you're going through life, just be budgeting. Hey, you know, fifteen hundred bucks, seventeen hundred bucks, something like, somewhere around there is what it would cost me to protect my family, protect these assets, and keep the government from coming in and taking their piece of it. Exactly. Okay, cool. And so that's one mistake people make is they don't have a trust. Another people mistake mistake people make, um, kind of in the same vein, is life insurance. You and mm -hmm. I were talking about this before we started recording, and. I thought you needed just like a couple times of your income, like two, maybe three times your income to in life insurance coverage. What is it, what's, what's recommended? So the recommendation, and it depends on where you're getting your information from, because you threw out the name Dave Ramsey, we'll okay. keep it in that same light. All right. um, and a lot of the practices that we teach are all aligned with his principles anyways. Yeah. Uh, so that recommendation looks like 10 to 12 times 12? your income. Yep. 12, so if you're making, for easy math, $100,000 a year, mm -hmm. gross, mm -hmm. you should have a million to 1.2 in coverage? You got it. Oh my gosh. Which seems like a lot, but it depends on, again, where you're at in life. You're in your mid-30s, you're healthy, and you're getting the right type of insurance, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of different types. Making sure you're getting term insurance for an appropriate length of term that fits you, it can be incredibly cheap. Yeah. So what would a what would a million dollar policy cost for you know somebody in their mid thirties, a dude? Because I think we're more expensive. I would have to price that out, but if I was just to guess off the top of my head, probably like thirty five forty bucks a month. Oh wow, that's not as bad as people expect. So some employers do cover part of your life insurance, mm -hmm. correct? Correct. And so a lot of employers will offer a certain multiple to that too. So they'll say, here's your salary, you get one x or two x, and that is a great benefit to have. The downside there is you're healthy when you start, you get that insurance, you never get more insurance elsewhere. Then you get diagnosed, something happens, you no longer qualify for a new policy. Mm. You leave that employer, now you have no life insurance. Or you're let go, now you have no life insurance. And so it's wise to consider outside sources, A, because they can often be underfunded for what you actually need, but two, you know, they might go away faster than what you actually need in your plan. 
And so what this all has to do with being a homeowner and why this ties into real estate is imagine you lose one of the incomes, mm -hmm. right? Or the primary income earner or just one of the incomes disappears. Man, that is such a stressful situation because you probably got qualified on both incomes. And now, now that's been reduced by whatever, whatever amount. And now, not, now not only are you dealing with the loss of somebody and if you have kids caring for these kids alone, mm -hmm. but now you have to deal with how am I going to pay my mortgage? Yep. And so for essentially what we're hearing right now is roughly $40 a month. If you're in your mid thirties, again, price it out, talk to your financial um, advisor, talk to Chad with Thrive um, Stewardship, but $40 a month can get you, you know, a million, a million bucks. Yeah. And what you're talking about there is not life insurance. We can't insure against our lives when we go, it's time to go. Yeah. But what we're talking about there is income replacement. And so if I was to pass away today, I know that my wife, Christy, is not going to be left in a financial burden. She's going to have enough money to continue life as if I were still here, even though she's heartbroken. I hope that I'm gone. She's, <laughs> at, le she's at least financially taken care of. Totally makes sense. And there's just so, there's just so many stories. Like I, um, we helped this family and the, the, the husband passed, like I'm dealing with, I just, it seems like almost every appointment I go on right now, either the husband or the wife has passed. Mm. And it is such, such a heart wrenching thing because no, we all know it's going to happen. Somebody's going to, you know, we, we don't live forever. Well, the two things are guaranteed to life or excuse me, death and taxes, you know? And unfortunately my wife's name is Valerie. Valerie's not going to last forever, but I go into these living rooms and there's just papers everywhere. You can just see the dark circles under their eyes and they're stressed and they're like, hey, I need to sell the house because I cannot afford it anymore. Yep. And unfortunately, depending on the person's circumstance, this wasn't necessarily a surprise, but they couldn't get the life insurance because the person was now sick. They may have had cancer. They may have just had some, some other illness. And now they realize, crap, we're in this bad financial situation, but we can't get the life insurance because we weren't proactive about it. And then they rack up credit card bills. Mm -hmm. The person can no longer work. And so they've taken out first, second, thirds on the home, and now they need to sell the home and they have nothing left. And that's just, not only do you not have a home anymore, but now you no longer have a spouse. Man, that is a, that is a tough mm. thing to walk into. Yeah. So. Absolutely. All right, well, you're listening to Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings. Coming up in our next segment, full service versus discount brokerages. Okay, so maybe you're not a big football fan. Maybe you don't care about the 49ers, but you can't ignore the fact that there's a lot of football going on this time of year. And it made me think about what the role of a quarterback is, someone who leads the team, makes the decisions. And it's very similar to what my friend Johnny Jennings does with the Tom Dave's team. I mean, they are like the quarterback when it comes to selling your home. They've helped many of our listeners, including Alan and Mary, who wanted to sell their home in Roseville so they can move to Washington to be closer to their family. The challenge was their current home needed repairs and they didn't have the cash to make that happen. Guess what? Johnny Jennings and the Tom Daves team were able to help the couple make those repairs with no upfront costs, which resulted in a quick sale for a record amount. And you know, they would love to help your family as well. Go to TomDaves.com right now. Find out what kind of offers you would get on your home, no matter what kind of condition it's in. Again, Tom, D-A-V-E-S.com, or you can call them up, 855. Tom Daves, license number 581837. This is Made for More Living with Johnny Jennings online at madeformoreliving.com. All righty, and our special guest today is Chad Francis. He's a financial advisor with Thrive Stewardship, and they can find you at what's your website? Thrivestewardship.com. There you go, simple enough. Thrivestewardship.com. In our first segment, we ask the question Is a home a good investment? Johnny? No. Unless, it's not. And no, it's not. <laughs> That's pretty shocking coming from a realtor. Yeah, yeah. You should hear, hear the conversations I have with family around the holidays. <laughs> no, it is not a good investment unless you're planning to stay there long term. What's long term? Minimum, minimum seven years. Minimum of seven years. Then it's a good investment. If you're gonna... Seven years is the break even point. Right. On average. Like it could be less, could be more, but on average, seven. Chad? I really echo what Johnny says. I think it's a great investment for the long term mind thinker. Good. And segment number two, we talked about mistakes people make before buying a home. Mistakes people make before buying a home include simply moving too fast, not putting a plan together, and just liquidating accounts, like not, not doing the research, not talking to 
all the professionals involved in a home purchase to make the best decision for you. If you just go out there, shoot from the hip, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Mm, so don't rush into it. Get all the information you can, especially Absolutely. from a great financial advisor like Chad here, right? There's wisdom and counsel. That's right. And then segment three, we talked about things you should do after buying a home. You get the keys, you've moved in, you've got new paint, new furniture. Now what do you do? You can buy a dog. There you go. <laughs> now you can buy the dog. Finally. No cats. No cats. Bad investment. Bad investment. <laughs> if you walk into a ha house that smells like dog pee, that's okay. Cat pee, whole nother, no, whole nother level. So what you want to do after buying a home, if you don't have it already, is have a trust. So if you create the trust, if you already have the trust, make sure the home is now a part of that trust. That's thing number one. And then thing number two, if you don't have life insurance, get life insurance. It's gonna, it's it's re relatively affordable, but it can totally change your life. You do not wanna be that person who, when a family member is sick and you can no longer get life insurance, you wish you had it. When the family member passes unexpectedly and now you can't afford your mortgage payment, that you wish you had life insurance. It's that, those two things will 100% change your, your, your outlook. Mm -hmm. And it's knowing the right type of insurance that you need because there's good types of life insurance and bad types of life insurance. So shopping those things out and understanding what it is you're getting, you're trying to replace your income, you're not trying to get fancy and combine insurance and investing in one fancy product, you end up losing your tail that way. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, this is too much information. I don't understand it all. Chad is here to help. Again, Chad Francis, he's a financial advisor. He's going to take his time, walk you through every step, explain all the different types of insurance. You don't have to do this on your own. He's here to help and make sure you, you have those safety nets um, for your family. Now, let's talk about full service versus discount brokerages when it comes to selling your home, when it comes to buying a home. Yeah. If you're a realtor and you're listening, explain to us, Johnny. Ooh. Yes. You're excited about this one. I am excited about this one. Um, so to add some some backstory, some color to the situation, Valor and I worked for a boutique brokerage our first couple of years in real estate. And then we actually worked, we helped launch a discount brokerage here in the Sacramento region. And the amount of success and the and here's here's why we we decided to go with the discount brokerage in the first place was we thought, man, people are paying way too much in commissions. There's no need for this. And so we're like Absolutely, this is the way of the future, discount brokerages. Like, I don't even like the term, but it's it's widely understood what a discount broker is. There's all these different types. We can get into that later. But we thought, okay, this is where it's headed. This There's no need for somebody to pay 6% on average, give or take, for a real estate transaction. That 6%, that's $20,000 on a, on a $400,000 entry-level home. You know, that's tens of thousands of dollars when you get at higher price points. So why, 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 would, why should... By, excuse me, why should sellers have to pay for that? And so we got, we joined a, a discount brokerage. That brokerage lasted 18 months. They were well capitalized. They burned through 70 million, seven zero, 70 million dollars in 18 months. Now, could the money have been handled a little bit better? Maybe, but the main reason why they went out of business was because they were not making money. They were offering such an incredible discount to to the home sellers that they weren't able to to make a not even a profit but a even like a, a semblance of a profit it just they were just hemorrhaging money and that's why like these discount brokerages have been around since i think the 70s is when they started rolling out don't quote me on that but they've been out for a long time redfin is still losing money like like i have friends at redfin i know some great agents at redfin but they are losing money and so the model just why, so you're thinking, well, I don't care if they're losing money. It's about me keeping money in my pocket. Like that's what I'm. That's what I'm primarily concerned with, and I, and I get that. I felt the same way. What I found out was that if they're losing money, there are things happening behind the scenes that the consumer is not typically aware of. So if they're losing money, how are they paying their employees? How hard are their How hard are their agents working? How many? What's What's the caseload? What's How many listings? How many buyers are those Are those agents working with? And so if, yeah, it's just it's just. So anyways, so that brokerage um, shut down after 18 months and we moved our licenses over to EXP Realty where we've been since August of 2019. And it just totally changed our perspective to go from a discount brokerage to a full service model because we're just able to offer so much more. There's margins in the business. There's, more, there, there's just more value that we can offer the consumer than saving the, um, 
saving them thousands of dollars. Like we net them more money. On average, our homes sell for 3% more than the average realtor. So the average realtor could be working for free and we would still be the better option in mm. terms of in terms of how much money they're putting in their pocket. So um, I, I've, I've done both and I, I firmly believe that the full service model is better for the consumer. And if you're seeing, and what you're seeing in, in the market in general is that most people are going with the full service model. Why people tend to go with the discount, either they don't see the value or they got burned by a bad agent. There's good agents, there's bad agents out there. Unfortunately, just like anything, there's going to be fewer good agents than there are bad agents. And when you have, you know, 15,000 plus agents, like you, you, you can throw a rock and hit five real estate agents, right? <laughs> so they're, they're common, they're easy to come by, but the good ones are not. And so if, you, if you're interacting with a good real estate agent, you're going to be money ahead than going with a discount brokerage. That's, that's my two cents on that. Um, and so if you're, and there's so many different models out there too, between what a discount broker is and, and the services they provide. Some people, it's like a, it's like a, a pick, pick what you want type of thing. Do you want photos? Do you want, um, do you want a 3D tour? Do you want them to do the paperwork for you? Do you want them to put it on the MLS? There's like tiered systems. And so what we recommend is just, just if you're gonna, if you're gonna go that route, understand what they're offering and know, and, and the most important thing is what type of compensation they're providing the buyer's agent. Because if you are buying a home, think about when you were buying that home, if you're selling a home, you had to buy that home at one point. When you were buying that home, what, what was going through your head? How am I coming up with the down payment? You were thinking about how am I, what are these closing costs? What's this, what's this loan, loan origination fee? Why am I paying $150 to sign some paperwork for a notary? You're, you have all these costs. And when you're selling the home, you don't have those same exact costs, but you are paying for typically both sides of the, the real estate transaction, like, like the commissions for the realtor. And so what we recommend is make sure that the, the brokerage is offering a, a reasonable commission to the, real, to the agents representing the buyers. If they don't, then, then what happens is, unfortunately, buyer's agents may not, may not bring people to, that, to your property. You're going to leave money on the table. Also, you have to think about putting yourself in the buyer's agent's position. This is how they make a living. This is how they provide for their family. And if they're now having to work with somebody who's not a professional, who doesn't know what they're doing, who doesn't understand the paperwork, and that seller is responsible for the paperwork, or somebody in another part of the country, another part of the state that you can't even get on sure. the phone, like, like now, now that, that agent's livelihood, that buyer's agent livelihood, is now linked to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Hmm. And so what ends up happening is they end up doing twice the work for half the pay. And so... It's just, it's just a bad situation when you end up typically going with, with discount brokerages. Again, there's good ones out there, there's bad ones out there, but typically, like most, most, in order to make the whole discount model is volume-based. So that means they need to sell. So Valerie and I, when we started, we were selling homes for 600 bucks. That's how much money we were, we were getting paid, $600. Valerie sold a $1.4 million home in El Dorado Hills, and she got paid 600 bucks. The agent on the other side got paid over $30,000. And so in order for Valerie to, to make a decent, like a livable wage, she had to sell a lot of homes. And so what kind of, and she did a fantastic job. She was, she was the most um, highly reviewed, highly rated person in the company, but not all agents are like that. Again, there are very few good agents. And so she was killing herself for 600 bucks where a lot of other agents may not be willing to do that. They're just, they're, 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 they're just showing up and they're selling the houses and they're, they're already on to the next one by the time your, your listing agreement is signed. Before the sign even goes in the yard, they're on to the next one. Well, and how much attention can a good agent pay to their client if they're trying to sell 100 homes at the same time, fielding 100 phone calls at the same time, versus being focused on two, three, four people in that month? Yep. There's just only so much that one person can give. There's only so, so much of the pie. So, like, we sell a lot of homes here at the Made For More, with the Made For More team. Tom, and we've partnered with Tom Daves. Tom Daves has sold a lot of homes. Mm -hmm. And so, but the difference between our model and the discount model is we have the staff and the resources to provide a high quality, like, service to our clients. If you have a small, if you have, like, the value size pie over here, like, there's nobody to help you. You're all on your own. So you can't get a hold of that agent. The other agents who are wanting to show the property can't get a hold of that person. It is just an entire, like, it's just, it's just a flaming hot mess. And it's all on that agent's shoulders. And so what happens is those agents get a lot of experience and then they burn out and they either exit the industry or 
they transition into a full service brokerage. They do not stay with the discount. So that's the other side of the discount model is you're typically getting less experienced agents. They may be incredibly experienced if they've been there, you know, 18 months, two years, three years, but they're on their way out and they're going to transition to the full service model because they just, they're, they're, they're making 150, maybe $180,000 a year, which may sound like a lot, but when you're working seven days a week, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, there's a whole lot, there's all, and then you can, you can, you can make even more money as a real estate agent working those same hours and provide a better quality of service and have a better quality of life for you and your family. Like it's just, it's night and day. And so I, this isn't like to disparage on the discount model. I do think eventually there's going to be com commissions are going to compress. I do, I do believe that, but I do not think they should compress and have the, and have the consumer sacrifice like quality for that. Like when, if you're, if those commissions are going down, then they're going to go down and the agent is still going to maintain that high standard, that high quality of service that the customer deserves. And of course, uh, you are partnered with EXP Realty, which is part of the um, the Made for More team, the yep. Tom Dave's team. Explain the benefits of working with EXP. Yeah, so EXP is our brokerage, and so we have so we call ourselves our we're kind of like a teamerage. So we are a team within the brokerage, and we have over thirty agents on our team. And so the benefit to working with um, a team like us or a full service agent is our suite of services. We have a flexible commission plan. Like not everybody fixed, fits into that cookie cutter, you know, five to seven percent commission structure. So we have a flexible commission plan. And what really differentiates us from those discount brokerages or those newer agents is our suite of services. So we have we have phenomenal photographers. We have we, we have relationships with escrow officers, with lenders, with financial advisors, with roofers, with inspectors, with home warranty providers, with 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 every like with insurance providers with everything that you need we have we have a solution and we we give that to you on a silver platter and make your life very very easy and at the end of the day if we're representing sellers our homes sell faster and for more money than the competition if we're representing buyers then because we do both then typically we help somebody find that home and we get them a better deal than the competition and it's because we have this network of people that we've built up over the years in order to provide that luxury service mm. That's good. All right. Well, let's wrap up today's show. Chad, do you have anything to uh, part with us with? Any of your uh, expertise, advice? Financial advisor for many years with Thrive Stewardship. Chad. It'd be to have a plan and work a plan. And I know Johnny hit on that point earlier is that having a plan is just such an important thing that many folks don't have. They feel like they're kind of doing a little bit of everything where if they stopped, slowed down, kind of the theme of the day, mm -hmm. and focused on your goal at hand and working a system of steps, you can find a much more prosperous, healthy, and happy lifestyle. Johnny, anything to wrap up with? The only thing I'll say is that I'm a, I'm a type of personality that likes to move fast, that likes to go, 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 get things done. And to hear Chad say, move slow, like kind of that gives me like claustrophobia, for lack of a better term. <laughs> like, I do not like that. But what I've learned over the years is that slow is fast. And so it's better to move slow with purpose and, and intention than just be moving frenetically and, and, and bouncing off the walls. Like if you, want, if you want to make significant progress, partner with the people who have been there, partner with the people who have the right answers and move forward in an organized fashion. All right. Thanks for listening. That's Johnny Jennings and Chad Francis, Made for More Living. We'll catch you next week.